Well, friends, as we move through this hour in worship, we are in the middle of a sermon series that originally is occurring in the summer of 2022. We're calling this sermon series Summer in the Spirit. It flows out of a sermon series that we did on the Trinity about God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father. You know, sometimes we can de-emphasize just what the Holy Spirit is. And we, in this summer, are unpacking not only aspects of what the Spirit does in our life, but most specifically, we're taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, mechanically, if I can say it this way, that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit into your life. And that Spirit of God does many things. That Spirit of God enables you to begin to understand who God is, to understand Scripture, uh, that Spirit convicts us of our sin when we get off track. Uh, the Spirit of God actually enables us to have spiritual gifts for the building up of the community of God, the body of Christ, the church. But also, every single believer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, becomes more and more and more like Jesus Christ. This is an ongoing process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's on a light switch flip. In fact, it's more described as this ongoing sense of transformation, inwardly, outwardly, a change of heart, a change of perspective, a change of, in some ways, how you respond to all the different exterior and internal realities in your life. What's so interesting, though, is that this, this phrase, fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, is singular, not plural. You know, a lot of people perhaps might think of this as the fruits of the Spirit, in which there is a list of nine different fruits, people might think. In verse 22 of Galatians 5, it lists them as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And some people might misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is saying, and they might come to the conclusion that these fruits are really just things that some people have and some people don't. Where some people might think, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a loving person, but I'm not really a patient person. But that's okay because I got that fruit from the Holy Spirit. Some people might think wrongly, unbiblically, that, okay, I just have to maybe pick and choose the ones that are easy for me. You know, play to my strengths, forget about my weaknesses, but an actual fact. The Apostle Paul says that something supernatural happens when the Spirit of God dwells in us, when we create space for the Spirit of God to transform us, when we practice the way of Jesus, when we die to ourselves and let the Spirit of God uh, overtake different scenarios in our life, that singular fruit begins to grow in our life. And even if one of those nine Seven of those nine, all nine of those nine are things that from a personality or a, uh, an experiential standpoint haven't existed before. All nine of those begin to grow in your life because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a sure sign that it's the Spirit of God moving in somebody's life and not just them mechanically or externally growing in those areas. Because here's the truth. When we read this list of the fruit of the Spirit, 
the nine that I just read, there are a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus, a lot of people who don't have the Spirit of God in their lives, who are loving, who are patient, who are gentle, who are kind. But it is impossible to grow in all nine of these areas without it being the Spirit of God in your life, because some of them seem to be mutually exclusive. And so our hope is that as we go through each of the nine fruit of the Spirit, that you see it as a singular fruit that has different facets, different angles, different uh, characteristics that all can grow in your life. As we've gone through this sermon series, I believe we're in week four, and we get to patience. Now, as we dive into patience, uh, there's four things, and I'm going to follow this pattern throughout the, the entirety of this series. I know that some of our other teaching team members will be preaching. They'll follow a different pattern. But as I work through uh, the areas that I've uh, been assigned to and I'm very excited about, as everybody else is excited, joining this preaching series, there are four things that I want to move through. First, the problem of patience. Two, the practice of patience. Three, the power for patience. And finally, fourth, the picture of patience. Now, you'll quickly see that I'm talking about a spirit-filled, a spirit-driven, a supernatural level of patience that we can't get on our own, that even the most patient people on the planet uh, are just a a fraction of the depth and the height and the breadth of the the spirit-given patience that God has for us. So first, the, the problem with patience. I mean, what's the big deal, right? You, you see this list here? It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, one of those being patience. And it seems like some of the other things, perhaps, in our society seem more important. It seems like love. It seems like peace. It seems like faithfulness seems to be more important than patience. How does patience make the list? I mean, isn't it true that everybody gets impatient at some point? Impatient on the freeway. Impatient on hold, impatient for the package to arrive, impatient with the other person. I mean, in our society, in some ways, we are actually told to be impatient. We're told not to wait. There's this value in our society today that you've got to go after it, that the early bird catches the worm. So what's the big deal? Well, we've got to understand what the word patience actually meant in the first century. In fact, the language of the New Testament is the language of Koine Greek, the common Greek. Not classical Greek, but the common everyday language that people would use in the marketplace, within their families, and with friends. And that word for patience always is the word macrothumos. It's two words put together. Macro, you can kind of hear. It is long. It is wide. It is extended. A macro view is a wide view. A macro lens is a wide lens. A a macro form of patience is one that isn't short, it is long. That's the first word. Second word, thumos. It can mean temper. It can mean anger. It can mean passionate suffering. So macro thumos is a long-suffering, as the Old English uh, translates it. It is a a lengthy experience of anger. The opposite of macro-thumos is micro-thumos. 
short anger, short-tempered. The reason why patience is such a problem in our society is because I believe that impatience, microthumos, is the seed that leads to some of the most profoundly horrific things that humanity can do to each other, to themselves, and to God. When you think about it this way, when we uh, lack patience, let's say with ourself, the seed that is planted of never being patient when we make a mistake, uh, when we haven't yet mastered something, when we haven't yet gotten to a place that we want to be, when we lack patience and we have a short temper with ourselves and we get angry with ourselves, that can actually put down roots of shame. And it can actually bear a different kind of fruit that says to ourselves, you're just, you're a failure. You'll never measure up. And in those moments, we can begin to be little and get bitter with ourselves. We can beat ourselves up. And we actually never live into the fullness of either, A, we want to grow into, or even more importantly, that which God longs to grow into us. We become hollow shells of the rich, vast truth of who we actually are. When we can begin to be impatient with other people, we can lash out at them. We can hold them to a standard that we believe that they need to measure up in this moment. And as a result, we can look at them in a way that, that lacks the fullness of how God longs for them to be seen. We can seek revenge immediately. We can lash out. We can say things that wound, that can scar. And these things lead us to greater and greater and greater, more and more destructive acts of, of verbal violence, of physical violence, a relational fracture that causes us to look at not just a person, but perhaps a people group or a political party or a nation state. And we can lack patience and it can cause us to, to murder in our heart, to actually go to war. Some of the most devastating things that humans have ever done started with the seed of impatience. If you trace the origin of some of the worst atrocities in human history, I believe it goes, it goes all the way back to impatience. We can do this with God. We can look at God and say, God, where are you? I've done this, I've done that. How come you're not showing up? How come you're not answering my prayer? How come you haven't given me the thing that I've longed for? I deserve it. And what we do in that moment, in impatience, we are actually practicing another religion. That's how serious this is because impatience says, I know what's right. I know the timeline. And God, where are you? You're not serving me. You're not making things happen. And in those moments, we actually take God off the rightful throne that God should be in, in our hearts and in the universe. We put ourselves in that wrongful place and we treat God like an assistant. But as it's been said many times before that God is vastly overqualified to be your personal assistant. You see, this is paganism when we begin to have an impatience with God, thinking that God just serves us. Some of the most destructive things that we can do to ourselves, to each other, to God, 
comes from the seed of impatience. That's why it is so important for us to practice patience. Well, what does that look like? And this leads to our second point. You know, in the summer of uh, 2020, it seems like an eternity ago, uh, two years ago, in the moment I'm preaching this, I went through a sermon series, taking a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9, all the way through 21. And the section heading of that passage, uh, in my Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, is called Marks of the True Christian. And I'm going to read this, and I want you to hear the verbs. And many of these verbs actually have to do with practicing patience. In many ways, if you could describe it this way, uh, in the same way that we practice music, we practice our scales on the guitar, uh, we practice arpeggios, for example, on the piano, we practice these things, we have drills, there are a certain number of things that we can practice that it becomes muscle memory for us. Or perhaps some of us practice a sport. There's different drills that we might do, different things, uh, mechanics, foundational, fundamental things that we can put together. Maybe some of us, we go to the gym and we do circuit training where we move from uh, exercise to exercise. You can see it this way, perhaps, that each of these verbs is like a different circuit training, a different fundamental, uh, a different skill set, a, a very basic thing that actually enables us in the fullness to to become more and more the type of patient people that God longs for us to be. Let me, let me read this. This is Romans 12, the whole thing, 9 through uh, 21. And here are all these verbs. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. And now beginning with this. Be patient in suffering. You hear that? Be macrothumos in suffering. Be long-suffering in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. And beginning in verse 14, imagine this. This is uh, you going through the scales on your guitar. Uh, this is you running through different fundamentals in a sport. This is you beginning the circuit training in the gym. The first is this, bless those who persecute you. You know, Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, do not seek revenge for people that wrong you, but rather pray for them. This is a very tangible practice that can actually grow a supernatural patience in your life. You pray for the people that you're impatient with. That begins with yourself. In the moment that you don't do the thing that you want to do or wish you did, instead of beating yourself up, bless yourself, pray for yourself. God, give me the ability to give myself grace. Imagine doing that with a spouse, a child, a coworker, a roommate a person that just cut you off on the freeway. Imagine doing that with somebody that you see in a, a position of power in society. Imagine looking at a, a group of people, of people from a different perspective or background. Imagine if you would not immediately lash out in your heart or in your mind, but instead pray for them. You see, the word bless in the New Testament is the equivalent of the Old Testament word shalom we translate into peace. Shalom is not the absence of violence 
alone or the absence of all of that. It, in fact, is the fullness, the wholeness, the completeness of all that God longs for in our relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, and all of creation. When you bless someone, it's not just refraining from lashing out. It is a proactive, it is a tangible, it is a contributing to the, the wholeness, the completeness of that which God longs for the person, whether that's yourself or somebody else or a whole entire group of people. Right there, that is a exercise, that is a practice, that is like the first kettlebell workout that you can do in practicing patience. It goes on, not just bless those who persecute you. Number 13, you rejoice with those who rejoice. Now why put that? Isn't it easy to rejoice with those who rejoice? Well, it's actually hard to rejoice with those who are rejoicing when you in your own life have nothing to rejoice over. Some of our greatest impatience in our life is when things aren't going well and somebody in our life who we talk to or we see on social media is so excited about something. And in those moments, we don't rejoice with them because I believe the seed of that is impatience. They have something that we don't have. And we, in our culture, when somebody experiences something great, there's this phrase, I see it all over social media. People say, not, that's awesome. They say, I hate you. I mean, this is how we respond in those moments. When somebody posts pictures of a vacation, we've stuck at work and I see it all over social media. It's because it's a seed of impatience. We reach out across social media and we don't bless. We don't rejoice with them. We say things like, Man, I'm stuck here at home. I can't believe you. Lucky. Why would Paul include rejoice with those rejoice unless it was something that has to be supernatural? When we practice that, when we rejoice with those that are going through great things, even when we're not, that actually enables us to practice patience. But there's the flip side of the coin. Take a look. It also says weep with those who weep. Sometimes when life is going so good for us, when things are clicking, when we are in the flow, the last thing that we want to do is have somebody drag us down. And one of the reasons I believe that Paul puts this here, this verb to weep with those who weep is that it is easy to do when we're weeping, but it's very hard to do when things are great. And we can be so impatient with people in our life that when we get together with them, they're down. They're complaining. It takes tremendous patience. It tr takes tremendous long suffering. It is a macrothumas when we normally get short tempered to weep with those who weep. And when we practice that, it grows this muscle, it grows this skill, it grows this ability of being patient with other people. Verse 16. Uh, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which is proud, but associate with the lowly. One of the things that I've seen the last two years is that as many things have happened in the planet, around the globe, around our nation, many of the things that perhaps were under the surface that caused division are now above the surface and we are seeing visibly families, friend groups, 
churches, communities, literally ripping apart. I see a profound toxic symptom in our culture that comes from the seed of impatience. We don't know how to live with one another when we disagree with one another. And so for some, the solution is to withdraw, to not pick up the phone, to avoid the family holiday dinner, to leave the church, to move out of state. And now there's good reasons for all those things, but in some cases, if the impetus is that we lack patience and just want to get ourselves around with people whom we can be naturally, not supernaturally, but naturally patient around, we often find in those new places, those new experiences, those new friend groups, those new churches, those new areas of living, that now there's new people that we become impatient with. And we can't run forever. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that there is something that we can practice, that we cannot in our pride think that we have it all together, but to live in harmony with one another, even when we disagree with one another. When we do that, it is a supernatural level of patience. You know, if you want to practice patience, just get together with a group of people. That's all you got to do. There is no shortage of opportunities to practice patience when you're in relationship with others. There is this belief that I can just have all my relationship with God alone. I can follow Jesus. I don't need to be in community. But you can't because you never get to practice the one another's of Scripture. You never get to practice patience because there's no opportunity to do so. When things happen within our life groups, when things happen within our families, when things happen with our churches, we have an opportunity not to look at it and say, what's wrong, but to say, ah, this is simply an opportunity to practice the way of Jesus, to practice patience. But it goes on. Take a look at this. In verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. There is this temptation in our impatience to get somebody back for that which they've done to us. And sometimes we can do it externally and sometimes we can do it internally. You see, sometimes we pay people back. It's an eye for an eye, it's a tooth for a tooth. They post something, we post something back. They say something or do something, we do something back. The Apostle Paul says that when you do that, You're not practicing patience. You're practicing something that flows out of a seed of impatience. But also we can do that internally. Sometimes on the surface, a person can look patient, but in actual fact, they have daggers flying out of their heart and out of their mind towards the other person. We can harbor hate. We can harbor vengeance. We can hope for somebody's downfall and we can quietly on the inside Delight in the fact when they finally get theirs. Whether it's external or internal, I want you to think about your own life. I think every single person has a natural propensity. And on the surface, only people who uh, hold it within look patient. Of course, on the outside, when you lash back out, you can look as a person who's impatient, but in actual fact, both ways, externally or internally, 
When we repay evil with evil, it comes from a place of impatience. And the supernatural opportunity is to practice patience, both externally and internally. But the Apostle Paul goes on. Verse 18, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This goes deeper into live in harmony with everyone. And I love how it says, if and as far as it depends on you. You see, people, you can't control them. All you can do is control your response to them. If they don't return your phone call, if they avoid, you can't control that. But as far as it depends on you, don't be the one that doesn't return the phone call. Of course, we need to set healthy boundaries, but don't be the the reason why there is an absence, where there is a void, when there's an opportunity to simply live peaceably with all. Finally, in 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That word overcome is actually a, a military word. And basically, Paul is saying that, that when somebody does you wrong and when you repay them, like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, evil for evil, you actually, you don't overcome them. You are actually overcome. You are destroyed. You are actually dismantled by the very thing that you originally spoke out against. And the great irony is that when you get somebody back, you actually lose. When you harbor hate towards somebody else, you are actually swallowed up by hate. When you have a bitterness towards somebody else, it's as if you're hoping for them to die and yet you die on the inside. But there's another way. When you practice a supernatural level of patience, that you don't get overcome by evil, but you overcome evil with good. As you practice these things, you grow in your ability to have a a spirit-filled, a supernatural level of patience. But this leads to the third point. Where do we get the power for this? Because the truth is, is that this could be the first point, that none of this could happen. None of us could practice these things. None of us can grow supernaturally without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why these are called fruit of the Spirit. It is actually impossible for us in our own strength to have this power. And I often think that one of the ways in which we can cultivate this power is by starting by having a God-given, a Spirit-guided perspective on ourselves, on others, on all of humanity. You know, the beginning of this chapter, Romans 12, after one of the most lengthy sections of some very profoundly significant theological musings that the Apostle Paul does. He says in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, the Greek says, in view of the mercy of God. My translation here in the New Revised Standard Version says, by the mercies of God. But Literally, it says in the Greek language, in view of the mercies of God. That word view is a a long view, a wide view, a macro view of all things. When we start from a place where we remember 
who God is, who God says we are, what God has done. It reorients our perspective. It lifts our eyes off of our shortcomings, other people's shortcomings, the fact that God seems slow in answering our prayers. And when we remember, actually, we begin to come back into alignment to be the people that God longs for us to be. You've heard me say so frequently that the word remember is so frequently found in Scripture. It outnumbers the word believe five times to one. It, it outnumbers the word trust two times to one. The origin, the beginning of all of our brokenness, the catalyst behind the catalyst of impatience that leads to many other things is actually forgetting. Forgetting that God loves us. Forgetting that God has created the people in our life even when they annoy us in God's image, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. We forget that God is our provider, our sustainer. And when we forget all of those things, we demote God in our hearts and our mind. We promote ourselves to the throne of our heart. And we begin to be rulers in kingdoms that we were never intended to rule above. And impatience rises up again for ourselves, for others, and for God. And awful, horrific things flow out of us. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says, the power of the tongue has the ability to break bones. You've heard that phrase before, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. I think it's better translated or better changed to a more biblical view of sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will utterly destroy me. The power of the tongue kills, it maims, it disables, it destroys. And when the words that come out of our mouth to ourself, to our loved ones, to a stranger, to an enemy, to God come from a place of impatience, which come from a place of simply forgetting God's view on all things, massive destruction ensues. Another passage I want you to take a look at is in the, the book of James. In fact, it talks about patience and suffering. This is James chapter 5, verse 7. And James says it this way, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. Listen to this illustration. Consider the farmer. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the earthly and the late rains. You also must be patient. If any of you have planted anything, if any of you are farmers or who have family members who are farmers, there is nothing that you can do in your own strength to will those crops to burst forth from the ground in the heat of summer in the darkness and frigid cold and frozenness of winter. There are things that are outside your control, things that are in God's domain, in God's realm. And yet there is also this aspect of agency that the, the farmer has, that you as the, the gardener, the planter has. That's where the practice comes in, but to know that the power ultimately comes from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. James continues on and says this, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors as an example of suffering and patience, beloved. Take the prophets who spoke in the name 
of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. James is saying that when you have a proper perspective that is God-given and you have a growing and a more accurate view of who God is, you actually become more patient with God. You actually trust that God knows exactly what God is doing. You don't try to put God on your timetable. You submit your timetable to God's. And in doing so, your patience with God begins to overflow with your patience with other people in your life, including yourself. You see, the power to be patient doesn't arise in us. It doesn't come from us. It isn't about us mastering or even practicing our own strength. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit, but then exercising that. We've been given the gym membership. We've been given the place on the team. We've been given the the instrument and the practice facility that is called life. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen without us partnering with the Spirit of God in our life. It doesn't happen without us creating space for the Spirit. It doesn't happen like a light switch, like I said, but as we create space for the Holy Spirit to move powerfully in our life, when we choose the Spirit of the God, God's way in our life rather than our own way, when we practice these things and we know that all of that power comes from the Spirit, that's where the supernatural transformation happens. But finally, what does this look like? I mean, what's a picture of what this looks like? You know, maybe you've got some people in your life who are patient. But maybe you've got other people in your life who are followers of Christ that are patient. That there is something supernatural about that patience that just does not make sense. I can think of a number of people in my life, but when I when I pause and I consider who is the most supernaturally, the most spirit-filled, patient person in my life, there's one person that rises to the top, and that's Jay Wolf. Now, some of you know about Jay and Catherine Wolf's story. Both of them, in many ways, uh, have exhibited a spirit-filled, a God-given patience that has come from some things that they never expected. As they went through life after they got married, the short of the story is that Catherine experienced a a horrific uh, medical experience in her brain where there was a brain bleed and a stroke where many people thought that she wouldn't live, that she would never talk, that she would never walk. The fullness of her story is found uh, in Hope Heals. There was a phenomenal documentary that was put together that we're going to link you to at the end of our service today. We'd love for you to explore that and understand it. And these, these horrific things that medically happened, this happy, young, newlywed couple, followers of Christ, all of a sudden, in an instant, their life was changed. And Catherine, this remarkable woman, has experienced over more than a decade what God has done in her life as she has chosen to not allow the suffering and the pain and the loss in her life to find her, but to reframe it as something that God has actually given her as a gift to transform her more and more to the person that God longs for her to be. She lives her life in a wheelchair. God has blessed her in such tremendous ways to be a voice for the voiceless, to show us visually what is true for all of us spiritually and internally, that we are all disabled 
And then we don't have to hide that, but actually God can do powerful things through us and our weaknesses for God's glory. But I also want to key in on Jay. Catherine, if I may say it this way, has no choice of the medical reality of her life. This is something that has happened to her, that there's no pill that she can take. There's no exercises that she can do to fundamentally change. Outside of some crazy supernatural healing that God can do, there is nothing that she can do to change that reality. There's no, this is the choice that she lives within. But Jay, on the other hand, I think about him as a, as a young husband, knowing that there are many husbands around the globe and throughout history and will be throughout history who for whatever reason have come to a place where they choose not to stay in a marriage. And there's a lot of reasons why that can happen. I don't want to get into the details of that right now. But in many places, one of the reasons, one of the most significant reasons that spouses choose to leave the relationship stems from a seed of impatience. This isn't the person that I envisioned. They've changed. Uh, They're not there for me. Whatever it might be, often it is the seed of impatience that causes us to choose to end that relationship. Now, you might say on the outside, uh, somebody who chooses to be in a marriage and then something catastrophic happens, like happened to Catherine, might increase the possibility of a person being impatient with just the reality of that situation, let alone impatient with the other person when we're just honest with it. And when I read this amazing, amazing true story of overwhelming loss and an overcoming love, I love that the story is written from both Catherine's perspective and Jay's perspective. And I want you to hear this. In the vulnerability of what Jay shares, he shares this. I highly recommend you buying this book. He shares this on page 201 towards the end of the book. This is Jay Wolf's perspective. Many years after that horrific event that they never would have imagined, he says this on page 201. There was no singular moment when I decided to stay in my marriage. It was more the accumulation of each day's choice to stay, of each day's intention to find awe and empathy and love for this woman who had been quite literally reborn. And yet in the physical stain, it became clear that I would also need to commit to stay internally as well. What was my commitment worth if my body was in it, but my heart was not? I was struck by the picture of God allowing people's hearts to harden. Like the pharaohs in the book of Exodus or correspondingly to soften, I began to pray specifically as in Ezekiel 11 for God to take away my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, one that was soft and tender towards my wife. If suffering is like going through fire, I wanted to choose what this inescapable process purified in me and what it melted away. I found my faith and my hope solidifying into something more constant than my emotions or circumstances, creating an altogether separate organism, and that was so freeing. Similarly, the commitment I had made to my marriage was growing deeper. 
more enduring and less dependent on whether a given day was a good or bad one. I know Jay, who for many years was part of the Beller Church family. Many of our church family were there in that season with them in the hospital, praying for them, giving a place for Jay to stay, to take care of their kids as the kids have grown up, to, to, to walk alongside them as they have moved across the country to Atlanta. There's many in our church family who still support them and follow through them. And this remarkable truth for us to know personally, this amazing story, to look at Jay's life, to look at Catherine's life, and to know that the reason why God has used them and transformed them in such powerful ways, why patience has grown in their life, is that it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. They will be the first to say that all of this has come from a God who they know faithfully, honestly, vulnerably, and it is the Spirit of God moving through their life. And yet they had to make choices. You heard that there in that quote. It wasn't just this one moment. It was intentional choices day after day after day, but those choices came out of the overflow of a relationship with God. Even in the good days, even in the bad days, even were days that we didn't say it, I imagine, where he was impatient in the flesh, impatient naturally. There was a supernatural patience that flew through him, that blessed his wife, that blessed her kids, that has blessed the world that has come to know them. Friends, that picture isn't just unique to them. They're not some people that we should hold on a pedestal that we will never be like, but to celebrate and to know that they can be honored and cherished and treasured because of what God has done in their life and what they've allowed God to do in their life. Every single one of us, you and me included, can experience that same level of supernatural patience. But first, we've got to realize what a problem it is. And we've got to practice it no matter how hard it might be, but to practice it knowing that that power comes from the Spirit of God that dwells in us when we receive Jesus by faith and to know that those pictures of supernatural patience can be pictures that we share with ourselves, with our family, with our coworkers, that people will look at us formerly perhaps impatient and say, what's gotten into you? And we would be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. That Jesus has made us alive. That Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has transformed us more and more into the people that, that God longs for us to be. So let's pause in this moment as we continue on in worship and ask the Spirit of God to move mightily in our lives. God, we thank you that you are so good to us. That you ultimately are the greatest picture of patience that in your love, in your long-suffering, in all the ways that humanity and us individually included have been selfish, when we've put ourselves on a pedestal and made you our servants, in all the ways that we've turned our back on you, God, you are the perfect picture of patience. God, I thank you for giving us the picture of Jesus on the cross when he could have done so many things and he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus, may we see in you a perfect, holy patience. 
May we see reflections of that in our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe and in our lives and throughout history. And may we see it beginning to grow in us as we practice these things through the power of your spirit, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray and we sit together. Amen. Well, very important right now, I want to remind all of us that as we are able, of course, to give to the ministry of Bel Air Church, as we are able to give towards this broadcast ministry to continue this ministry of outreach in this city and beyond, as you give through belair.org forward slash give, I want to especially invite you to join us in giving in a very big way beyond the walls of our church to our city, specifically the students. Now, as we go into this next school year, there's many kids who don't have the resources within their households to purchase a new backpack, let alone the supplies that they need to grow and to learn. And so we have a goal in the month of July to give away a thousand backpacks to kids in the LA Unified School District. Some of those are in the foster care system, some of them through Hope Gardens and other local LA partners. And this is where you get to be involved. One, if you were to give $25, you could fund a backpack filled with supplies. Two, go out and buy a backpack, fill it up with the essential items that we have on that list and return it to our campus by the end of July a thousand backpacks. I want that to be the minimum. I want us to break through this goal and to bless our city perhaps more than we ever have in our backpack giveaway. You have agency to do this. I would love for you to see this as an expression of your faith as we follow Jesus. So again, go to belair.org forward slash outreach. And again, thank you for those that give to the ministry of Bel Air Church that enable us to continue to bless so many through our broadcast and in-person ministry. May God bless you as you give, and may you be filled up with the joy that comes from Him.